Thank you. Good evening. I'm going to read from uh, the Bible, big surprise, from the book of 2 Timothy, chapter 3. As a matter of fact, um, I think I'm going to read the whole chapter. It's only 17 verses. And um, appreciate you handing those Bibles out. It's good to follow along, make sure the person who's speaking is saying it from the scripture. Second Timothy, chapter 3. Good to go. Second Timothy, chapter 3, verse 1. Mine might be a little different. I don't know which, whatever you got there, but anyway, it'll be close. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, verse 4, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with divers lust, various kinds of lust ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of retrobate, reprobate minds, uh, I'm sorry, men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith. But they shall proceed no further. For their folly shall be manifest unto all men, as theirs also was. But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch and at Iconium and at Lystra, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But evil men and seducers shall wax or grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned, and has been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Let me say a couple of things about the passage. 
starting at the last verse, that the man of God, there are two words, generally speaking, in the New Testament that are used for man. One is a word that would indicate male of the species. Um, and another word, such as this word, we would commonly translate it something like mankind or human beings. It's not gender specific. So you could rightfully say in verse 17 that the the person of God, male or female, may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. The second thing I want to mention about the passage is that you'll find that in this book of 2 Timothy, repeated a number of times, you don't have your own Bible, most of you tonight, or at least you don't have it with you, but when you get your own Bible, uh, it might be good for you to go through 2 Timothy and begin to highlight underline, mark, in whatever way you do, the occurrences of the word truth in this book. You'll find numerous times in all of the chapters the repetition of the word truth. And then we remember that in verse 15, he tells Timothy that from a child... You have known the Holy Scriptures. From a child, you've known the Holy Scriptures. Now, back in the first chapter in verse 5, one of the things that brought Paul joy was, as he says, I call to remembrance in verse 5 of chapter 1, the genuine faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. So Paul gives thanks that Timothy had a genuine faith in the Lord Jesus Christ that produced genuine salvation. Now one of the interesting things about this book and about Timothy, and it comes to the surface here uh, in chapter 1, is there is no mention of his father. There is mention of his grandmother, there is mention of his mother. Whether that is intentional or not, I can't say 100%, except to say that the greatest influences, spiritually speaking, in the life of Timothy were his grandmother and his mother. That's very um, apropos in the day and age in which we are living, when there are many single-parent families when there are many families where sometimes men don't take the responsibility to be the spiritual head of the house, or for whatever reason, it helps us to understand that even though that could have been the case here with Timothy, that the negative did not outweigh the positive influence of people who were interested in him spiritually, even if everything wasn't perfect, which it never is, in the home. And so Timothy, back in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15, had known the scriptures from a child, and those scriptures, the word of God tells us here, were able to show him the wisdom that leads to salvation, which is in Christ Jesus. So Timothy, through the scriptures, had been pointed to the salvation 
that is in Christ Jesus. It's already been mentioned tonight on more than one, by more than one person that that is a critical thing. That if you're here tonight and you don't know Christ as Savior, that that's the vital thing for you to know. It's not enough that your friend knows Christ, that your friend is saved, or your mother, or your grandmother, or anybody else. It's something that you have to come to. And perhaps part of the reason God has brought you here is that you might be confronted with that ultimate truth of who Jesus Christ is, what he's done, and what he offers in the way of salvation and forgiveness of sin. So that's critical. Many times on Friday night when I've been here, that is the emphasis that uh, I seek to, you know, get across from the Word of God. But it's certainly not the only thing because there are some of you here, perhaps many of you here, maybe even most of you here, who profess to know Jesus Christ as Savior. You claim, and no doubt you are indeed, a believer in Jesus Christ. And so, of course, we've also tried, when I've been here and others as well, to give you those things that will help you in your life and, and living for Jesus Christ. And that's kind of where I'm going to go with this tonight. This is going to be different for me. Don't know if it's something someone else has brought. Probably has. Doesn't matter. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you something tonight that will be maybe a little bit different from the approach that I normally would take. And it's going to flow right out of this passage. You notice that in the first verses, now jumping back to the beginning of chapter 3, that he has described for us what will take place in what he calls the last days. Perilous times shall come. And then he lists at least 19 different things that characterize people who are living in these last days. Lovers of their own selves, boasters, proud, blasphemers, and all the things that are listed there. I don't know exactly when it was, when it kind of clicked with me in this passage because the tendency is to look at these first few verses and think, you know, that's the way the world is becoming. The world is, is described, the world around us, the society around us is more and more described by the things that are listed in verses 2 through 5. But at some time in reading this passage, what clicked with me was this. As bad as it might be if these are the things that characterize a society in which we live, what is far worse is when these things characterize those who name the name of Christ or go under the banner of Christianity. And you're wise enough now in your post-adolescence or adolescence or whatever it is or whatever age you are. I don't even know what adolescence is, what age, but I, I know you're somewhere in that neighborhood or past it or, or before it. But anyway, wherever you are in life, you're wise enough to know now that not everybody that claims to be a Christian is a true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. That just because a church claims to be Christian doesn't necessarily mean that they preach the true gospel that will show you the forgiveness of sin and how to have your sin forgiven based on the finished work of Jesus Christ and all that he's done. You're you're old enough and wise enough to know that now. And I'm sure you've met in life people who claim to be Christians, but their life doesn't reflect that. But what, what struck me is this, that while society marked by these things is certainly 
you know, a bad thing. He's not talking about society here. And the reason why I know that is he says in verse 5, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. The world does not have a form of godliness. So this is something more insidious. This is something more um, dangerous in a sense that these are people who are going under the banner of Christianity characterized by these 19 things that are listed here. It's like those in chapter 4 that he talks about who will not endure sound doctrine. It's not the world. He's talking about people who don't want to hear preaching or teaching that is solid truth that comes from God's word. They want things that will just tickle their ears. They want things that will just make them feel good. And so uh, a more dangerous thing is that when those who go under the banner of Christianity, under that name of Christianity but are characterized by the things that are listed here because they've denied the power of the gospel, which is the power of regeneration, the power of a new life. And that's the beauty of the gospel. So you can get a code of religion, you can go to church, you can go to meetings, you can go to youth group, you can go to camp, you can do all that stuff. But the gospel is a power that regenerates and brings life, makes you live through the power of God's Spirit placed in you through faith in Jesus Christ. And that's the beauty. You know, I remember, you know, trying several times throughout my life to try to live like a Christian. But when it's the gospel, it's Christ living in you and giving you the power. Do you know that that's one of the deceptions of the devil? One of the ways that he pulls the veil over our eyes is to say you don't want to become a christian you can't live like that you know you can't you can't live like that you won't be able to keep that kind of standard but the beauty of it is that when you come to christ uh, he lives his life through you and gives you the power through that new life to be able to live the life that pleases him now obviously when i said that in this book the, uh, the subject of truth is prominent. In the last days in which we're living, the preservative for Timothy against the evil men and seducers and all that he mentions here is the, the, the Holy Scriptures, the Word of God. And so he tells him in verse 16, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It is profitable for doctrine Reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness. And simply put, as I'm sure you've heard before, it tells you what is right, that's doctrine. It tells you what is wrong, that's reproof. It tells you how to get right, that's correction. And it tells you how to stay right, that's instruction. And it will produce in you a maturity, it'll bring you to that place where God wants you to be through the Word of God. The Word of God then becomes the authority over our life as a believer. It governs our behavior. It governs what we do. It governs what we say. It governs, it is intended to, every aspect of our life. So it's important to know the Word of God. Now, here's where I shift gears just a little bit. 
I wouldn't know your motivation for being here tonight. Maybe you come because you like the singing. That's a good thing. Maybe you come because you like the games. Uh, maybe you come because you thought you could win it in a minute and get a uh, vitamin C packed fruity snack or, some, or even two of them. Um, maybe you come because your friend comes. Maybe you come because you have your eye on someone who's of a different gender than you. Um, I don't know why you're here, but doesn't matter in that sense. Glad you're here. You have your reasons. Maybe you come because you want to learn the Word of God. Maybe you come because of all those things, or of some of those things, or of a few of those things, whatever reason. Maybe you come because your parents made you come. That's a reason. That's a powerful uh, influence. Um, and so maybe that's the reason. But you know, you're getting to an age, most of you, where some of those factors are not going to be the big thing that causes you to make decisions anymore. You're going to have to make your own decisions. Now, you're already making some of them. But what I mean by that is, why would you come to this place here? Not necessarily on a Friday night, but maybe on a Sunday. Why would you come here? I travel up and down these roads. There's all kind of places up and down these roads, all kind of church groups, all kind of different names, all kind of different persuasions, and all kind of different activities. But if you chose to come to this one as opposed to that one, what would govern that choice? As I said, right now, maybe you don't have a lot of say in the matter, but one day you will. One day you're going to be able to maybe have your own car, maybe you already do, and uh, you know, you're not going to be as under your parents' influence as perhaps you are now, and um, you'll be the one then to say, you know what, why do I go to that place and not another? I want to suggest to you that what should govern our choice, not only in our personal lives, not only in our individual walk with the Lord, not only in what we say and do as individual believers, but what should govern our, our, our practice and our life when it comes to uh, the matter of gathering together with other people is the Word of God. To be able to look at a place, to be able to ask people, hey, why do you do this? Why do you do that? Why don't you do this? And why don't you do this? To be able to put to the test the practice of a church, not according to a rule book or a handbook that some man wrote, but according to the test of Scripture. As I say, some of you may have a few years before you make that decision. Some of you may be on the brink of it. Some of you may be already asking that question. But I want you to remember that if the Word of God is sufficient to show you how to have eternal life, and if the Word of God is sufficient to, as it says here, make you perfect, thoroughly equip you in everything that you need, I want to tell you that the Word of God is sufficient to show a church 
what they are to do and how they are to do it, how they are to function when they come together. And that ought to be the supreme authority for why we do what we do. Now, if you back up just one book to 1 Timothy in chapter 3, First Timothy chapter 3 and verse 14. Sometimes when we're studying the scripture, one of the things we try to get at is what was the purpose of the writer in writing? And sometimes that can be a struggle to, you know, find that out. But sometimes it's not. For instance, right here in 1 Timothy chapter 3, in verse 14, Paul tells us why it was he wrote. These things write unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. But if I tarry long, if I'm a long time in coming, that you may know how you ought to behave or conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of the truth. Now, without going too far in detail, I just would like us to notice that in verse 15, he calls it the house of God, which is the church of the living God. Now, I know that if I were to ask you the question, based on this passage of Scripture, whose church is it? It'd be easy to answer, wouldn't it? It is the church of the living God. It is his church. And it is his church because as Acts chapter 20 reminds us, he purchased it with the blood of his own, with the blood of his son. That was the purchase price not only for our individual salvation, but for the church as well. Because it is his church, verse 15 tells us, it is called the house of of God, God's house. Now, one day, if the Lord doesn't come before then, some of you in here, you may actually, you may get married. And even if you don't get married, you may one day have your own house. Do what you want to your house, right? You know, before that happens, you may find yourself not having enough money to have your own house. You might have to live with somebody else. The scary thing is, is, is known sometimes as a roommate. Now, my wife's not here, so I can talk about her. But um, it's really her sister I want to talk about in a, in a little bit less positive light. But uh, we were just talking the other day that my wife has a sister, and when they were growing up, they had to share the same room. And my wife tends to be a, well, I won't say a neat freak, but she likes things, you know, in a particular way. Let's just say that her sister isn't cut from the same cloth. And so it came to a point where in growing up, my wife said, this is my half of the room, and that's your half of the room. Keep your mess over there, you know, and so on. 
But you know, when you have your own place, if it's all yours, then you can make the rules, can't you? You can say, um, you know, I don't want to make the bed. It's my house. I don't want to wash the dishes. It's my house. You can say, if I come over to your house, listen, you know, this is my house, and help yourself. There's the refrigerator. Take whatever you want. There's nothing in there, but anyway, you know, if there is anything and you find, let me know. I wouldn't mind having some too. Or you could say, look, this is my house, and you know, after 9 o'clock, it's lights out. And you know, after 9 o'clock, I turn the hot water off. And uh, <laughs> you can make the rules, right? Because it's your house. And you see, while those are kind of silly illustrations, when we think of the house of God, it's God's house, and he makes the rules. And so it's not up for us to say, hey, God, this is what we want to do in your house. What it's up for us, us to do is to say, what are the things that God has said? This is my house, and this is the way I want it to function, and so here's the way it's supposed to go. What a novel idea. I can promise you this. As you look around you in the world, you won't find great majorities of people operating on that principle. And that's the reason why I want to suggest to you that when many people look at Christianity as they see it, it seems like confusion. Because this one's doing this, and that one's doing that, and the other one's doing the other. If we were to only have the Scripture to guide us, as to what we are to do, what would God's house look like? And so I'm going to suggest to you that as you're advancing in age and you're getting to that place where you have to make those kind of decisions, let the Word of God be your guide. Put things to the test according to what the Scripture says. And the Lord will show you from His Word what's right, what's wrong, what to follow, and what to avoid. Thank you.